Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Good morning. And, uh... Welcome to Radio. It's John Langer here, and our last show, at least for one week, well, our last show on Monday at 10.30. Next week, we're going to be on Tuesday at 9.30, so check us out then. We're Friends of the Earth, of course, and Melbourne. There are what do we call them? Our mothership, our our base. Thanks to Era Bug for another show. So what do you know about genetic engineering? It's a new genetic it let me start that again. I'll I'll re, restart. Restart. Gene editing. That's what I want to talk about. Gene editing. And uh maybe I'm stumbling over this because I didn't really know a lot about it myself. It's a new genetic engineering technique that claims it can precisely edit DNA. Apparently, it's a bit like a pair of molecular scissors and can be used to cure everything, according to the promoters. It can cure everything from AIDS to malaria. Now, you know you have to start asking questions when the government holds a public consultation here in Australia and the global biotech companies like Bayer, DuPont and Dow are all lining up with submissions saying regulations. Well, who needs regulations? Foe's Emerging Tech Project has been asking these questions. And at a public forum held about two weeks ago, they were discussing gene editing. Louise Sales is the lead campaign manager for the Emerging Tech Project. And in this pre-recorded interview, she talks to one of the forum's special guests, Michael Antonio. And he's a specialist in molecular genetics at King's College in London. And then in the second part of this interview, she'll be talking with Claire Robinson. And she's the author, co-author of a book called GMO Myths and Truths. And she's also the editor of GMWatch.org, which is located in the UK. This is Louise Sales. I'm from Friends of the Earth's Emerging Tech Project. And welcome to this special edition of Dirt Radio Today in the studio, we've got Dr. Michael Antonio, who's a genetic engineer from King's College in London, and he specializes in in developing gene therapies in the lab. And later on in the program, we'll also have Claire Robinson, who's from GM Watch in the UK, 
to talk a bit more about um, GM techniques as well. First off, Michael, welcome, welcome to Australia and welcome to the studio. It's can, a joy to be here. Can you, first of all, tell me a bit more about your work in, in London? What, what do you work on? Yes, the, the, um, the work in my research group, although quite small, is nevertheless divided into two halves. Half of the work we do concerns developing human gene therapy applications. Uh, this includes both the more traditional, what we call gene addition therapies, where we use genetically engin engineered viruses to deliver therapeutic genes for diseases such as beta thalassemia. And then the other half of my research program involves using modern cutting-edge, in-depth molecular analytical methods, what we call molecular profiling, to look at uh, effects of low-dose pesticide toxicity, both pesticides that are associated with GMO foods and also those that are generally used in agriculture. Okay, and we've brought you out to, to Australia um, so that you can hear your concerns about a range of new GM techniques. For those Listening in, um, you might not have heard of um, these techniques. Industries referring to them as gene editing. Probably the most famous one is a technique called CRISPR, which has received quite a lot of media coverage with claims that it can cure HIV and AIDS. And and these techniques are being applied not just in human medicine that you're working on, but they're also um, being applied to food and agriculture as well, which you're really quite concerned about. Can you tell me a bit more about why you're concerned about this? We are indeed using gene editing tools as part of our gene therapy development program, again targeting uh, specifically the disease known as beta thalassemia. And where we're doing, we're comparing different gene editing tools, including the, the more recent CRISPR uh, methods. All of these gene editing tools ultimately w bring about the same types of outcomes. It's simply a matter of choosing the one that's most convenient and most uh, efficacious for you, for your target. But although they have shown excellent proof of principle in research, there's still many years from clinical application. Part of the reason for that is that in addition to bringing about the gene correction, that the power of these gene editing tools is that they are able to correct a genetic mutation. And although we have good proof of principle in the laboratory for these methods, they're still not very efficient. We need to improve their efficiency and efficacy. But also importantly, they have what we call off-target effects. So in addition to bringing about the change in the gene that you want, they can also damage, bring about damage uh, in the DNA in other gene systems within, uh, within the DNA of the cells you're, you're targeting. And so we need to sort out the safety aspects as well of these before they can be acceptable for clinical use. Now, the same technology has been applied for developing new foods, new crops. This is exactly the same technology with all of its strengths and all of its limitations. So what's happening with foods is, of course, they're being engineered for, to have new properties, whether it be to stop them going, foods to stop them going brown when you cut them or making them herbicide tolerant or, or you know, numerous things are being proposed for them. And it all sounds, at uh, face value, very powerful and potentially very useful. But they, these technologies, like I said, are not perfect. They will have off-target effects. So in addition to the intended change, 
which could have unexpected effects as well in its own right. You'll have damage in other areas of the plant DNA that can have also uh, bring about unexpected effects. And amongst these unexpected effects, because you'll be disturbing the biochemistry of the plant, you can inadvertently, uh, unexpectedly produce new toxins or new allergens in the process. And this is why for me, technically speaking, the procedure of gene editing is still a genetic modification procedure and should fall under the regulation of, of general genetic modification, in a, which will include a thorough safety evaluation of the products that it's producing. And so calls that gene editing should be deregulated and therefore not be subject to safety testing of its products is for me being uh, not true to the, to the science of the technology, for one thing, but also potentially dangerous because it means that the off-target effects and their potential negative consequences will never be evaluated before marketing. So what do you think about the federal government's current moves to deregulate a range of these techniques? For me, the, any, not just the government here, but anywhere, the considerations to deregulate gene editing for me are very worrying because deregulation means literally no safety evaluation of the products, which means that if something goes wrong, it'll be too late. It means that it's the, the public is now the guinea pig in the experiment, literally, because you're not doing any safety evaluation in the laboratory, say, by feeding the products to animals in advance and seeing if anything untoward happens, or especially on a long-term basis. You're, you're literally going to be producing these products, marketing them without any safety, without any labeling. And so you're literally the people are the guinea pigs in the experiment. And that is very worrying to me. As a scientist, that, that is being just uh, dis being disingenuous. It's just not, it's not doing your job properly, basically, in terms of protecting the public from potential dangers. So in Australia, at the moment, um, what's happening is, is our gene technology regulator is, is currently deciding how to regulate these techniques. So they, in December this year, Last year, sorry, they released a discussion paper which canvassed a range of options. Um, and it's quite clear from this that their preferred option is to deregulate these techniques. And I think what's important here is they're not just talking about deregulating these techniques for for food crops. They're also talking about deregulating them in animals and, and also in microbes as well. So what this would basically mean is that anybody, be it a biohacker, um, someone with malicious intent, or, or, yeah, GM food companies could use these techniques to genetically modify, yeah, microbes, animals, crops, and they could be entering the food chain with no safety testing and no labeling. So what kind of you've, – you've clearly, you clearly favor regulation. I was wondering what kind of regulation do you think is actually necessary for these, these new techniques? The regulation – for these techniques should simply acknowledge the technology for what it is. First and foremost, that it is a genetic modification procedure with, inherent, with an inherent collateral damage component and therefore unpredictable component as well as uh, bringing about the intended modification uh, th through the process. And if you accept that, which if you do, it means you're actually being true to the science, being true to the technology, then you need to 
make sure that you conduct first of all upfront in-depth molecular profiling, compositional analysis of the products to see how they have altered in response to the modification. And it will be there, by the way. It's not a question of if, but a question of to what degree the changes, uh, changes, unintended changes uh, will be brought about. But then most important is that I feel we need to conduct, as I've been advocating for GM foods in general over the years, is generic animal feeding studies, toxicity animal feeding studies. So you take an established uh, model system that is used routinely for evaluating toxicity of chemicals, for example. In other words, say the, the, the rat, and you feed do different doses of the product to these rats for their entire lifespan. And look what effects it has on their reproductive capability, toxicity to various organs and other bodily physiological functions, and uh, reproductive capability, cut cancer, potential of cancer causation, because we know that plants, um, plant biochemistry is very complex. Plants are very good at producing toxins. They use them as defense mechanisms. It's quite conceivable that a disturbed biochemistry caused by unintended effects of these GM transformation procedures, including gene editing, could lead to disturbances in plant biochemistry that that are result in toxin, novel toxins being produced or novel allergens being produced. We need to guard the public against this possibility by, acknowledge this, by acknowledging this as an inherent property of the technology and regulate, make sure that they're properly safety evaluated as part of their application for approval. Thanks so much for coming into the studio today, Michael, and, and for your interesting insights. And now we'll move over to Claire, and I'll it's have been, a few words with Claire. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. And we were listening there to Michael Antonio, and he's a specialist in molecular genetics at King's College London in the School of Life Science. And he was talking there to Louise Sales, who's the campaign coordinator for FOES emerging tech project and as I said at the beginning there was a forum a couple of weeks ago on genetic engineering and something called gene editing and we'll hear more about that after this in 2016 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for 49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org. .au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Hi, I'm Stuart. Hi, I'm Marita. We are the Orb Weavers, and you're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital radio. And streaming at 3cr.org.au.
welcome back everybody for the second half of Dirt Radio. Uh, here in the studio today I've got Clara Robinson from GM Watch in the UK. So welcome to Australia and welcome to the studio. Thank you Louise, it's a real pleasure to be here. So I wanted to have a chat with you about attitudes to GM in, in Europe. What's happening over in Europe at the moment? Well in Europe the consumers basically do not want to eat GM. Um, all the GM ingredients in Europe have to be labelled and what you find is that actually the, the food retailers have basically excluded GM ingredients from their products, certainly from their own brand products. Sometimes you see a few GM ingredients in cheap imported junk foods usually, um, often from America. An industry man said many years ago um, when GM first started that a GMO label was equivalent to putting a skull and crossbones on a product, and, and that has really been borne out in Europe. There's huge suspicion of these products. So what do you think is the, the real agenda here? You know, Obviously, industry seems very keen in Australia to deregulate these, these products. What do you think is driving this? Well, most certainly, they know that consumers all over the world, actually, not just in Europe, but there are many consumers in many countries of the world who don't, do not want to eat GM. And consistently we find that wherever um, GM ingredients are labelled, there is consumer aversion to those products, particularly among the middle classes and, and people who um, are perhaps a little bit more affluent. Even in China, um, there is a large uh, backlash against GM ingredients there. What do you think would be the implications for Australia if these techniques were deregulated here when they hadn't been approved in Europe and in other countries overseas? Yeah, I think it's a massive risk to Australia's exports to Europe, certainly. What will happen, we don't even know whether these new gene-edited products are going to be labelled and regulated in Europe yet. That discussion is still ongoing. But certainly if they're not regulated and labelled in Australia, and perhaps if they're not labelled and regulated in Europe, then what we're going to end up with is hidden GMOs in foods. And in that case, there's going to be a major consumer backlash. And uh, NGOs and campaigners will start campaigns to raise awareness about what products are actually um, gene edited. But we've already seen um, that with unapproved GMOs, GMOs that are not approved in Europe and um, people attempt to import them into Europe, what is going to happen is that uh, there is going to be massive trade disruption. Um, this has already happened between 2002 and 2012. There were 200 incidents of major trade disruptions due to unapproved GM ingredients um, attempting to uh, get into various countries where they had not been approved. Um, this can be extremely costly. In the case of a, of a GM rice that was unapproved in Europe, um, this was Liberty Link rice. Uh, there was such huge trade disruption that it cost the U.S. rice industry around $1 billion. Um, and this kind of thing has happened time and time again. So we don't want it to happen to Australia's exports mm. into Europe. Yeah, I mean, it could have a huge impact on Australian Australian exports, but obviously the main consequence for, for us as eat, eaters of food is that these... If it's, these techniques are deregulated here, they could basically be end up in our food without labelling and without safety yeah. testing. Mm -hmm. um, so, do you know what kind of foods these techniques are actually being used on currently? Like, what what kind of research is in development? 
Well, I think that uh, possibly the main commodity crops will be most at risk. Um, certainly they're intending to do it to wheat, which is a major problem because nobody wants to eat bread with GM ingredients. Um, also, they're trying to do it to potatoes. They already have done it. Um, they've done it for uh, what I consider silly consumer appeal reasons uh, like you know, not allowing the potato to go brown, not allowing an apple to go brown. This is what they've been doing in America. And, uh, you know, basically these are very silly reasons to mess with our food. And when we consider that uh, genetically modifying food, can, you can end up creating novel toxins or allergens. And that's what we're concerned about. It's the health risks, mostly. Mm. Well, it strikes me that these suggested the the what they're doing is actually all these um the traits that they're genetically engineering they're of benefit to the food industry aren't they mm. they aren't the consumer yes. so that they can chop up apples and stick them in Certainly. prepackaged products and they can sit on the shelf for a week and still sure. look fresh yeah uh, you know this will be hidden rot basically in food food will be rotting and we won't know it because there'll be no visual cue to tell us but i think also there'll be genetically modifying crops for herbicide resistance which is a favorite of the gmo industry um, and it basically means that farmers can spray the field liberally with herbicides which end up leaving their residues in the food that you and I eat and that will almost certainly be an activity that they'll be pursuing with gene edited crops. Mm. And one of of the things that really concerns me with these new techniques is their potential application to animals as well. So I know that they've been trying to develop genetically modified pigs that um, don't get Lung disease because yeah. they're housed in really intensive conditions, which seems really cruel first and foremost. You're basically trying to genetically engineer the animal to fit the broken broken system um, rather than actually housing animals in human conditions in the yeah. first place. I think this is a major problem, and it's an example of... Um, an unsustainable agriculture system just trying to find ways of extending its lifespan. We all know that that kind of agriculture is unsustainable. Animals get sick a lot if they're kept in confined, very crowded conditions. And to genetically modify animals so they get less sick in those conditions, to me, it's deeply immoral. And I think that the more um, consumers hear about this, the more they will resist it. And one thing that really surprised me actually when because the the government's just gone out for public consultation and on this and if you actually look at the submissions dairy australia has put in a submission supporting the complete deregulation of these techniques so basically you could have genetically modified cows they're supporting the introduction of genetically modified cows which seems like um I mean, Victoria is one of the <laughs> biggest exporters of, of dairy milk. It strikes me as economic suicide, and I'm really surprised yeah. that they've thought that was a good idea. It really is, and, and, and I think that there's a, a consumer backlash time bomb um, just waiting there. I, I think that the food industry, if it stops and thinks about this stuff, it will not want to take these risks with brand damage. Um, it will be incredibly damaging to their brands. You've joined us at quite an interesting time, haven't you? What with with Brexit and everything mm. going on, I'm wondering what what do you think the implications could be for? Because traditionally, 
Britain's been really noise, noisily pro-GM, with the exception of Scotland, yeah. I should add, as a Scot. England's is certainly, like, there's a very strong GM sure. prop lobby there. I was wondering if you think Britain separates, do you think it will be like another state of America pushing GM? Yeah, I think there's a huge danger. Um, one thing that will slightly save us is that there are very few GM crops at the moment that are suitable for growing in England. However, already the government is making noises about deregulating uh, all GM, not just the new GM, but all GM. So making the rules very, very weak so that uh, basically we can import unlabeled GM foods from America uh, and it's going to be a free-for-all if that happens. And I think that um, the UK's position, uh, it's kind of in Europe, but with Brexit, it won't be in Europe anymore. And I think what will happen is that uh, somebody will want to do a trade deal. Theresa May will try to do a trade deal with America to try to make uh, England at least a centre of GM crop research, but also growing them. Um, and therefore, that will be like a wedge in, into the rest of mainland Europe, um, half of which does not want to grow GM at all. I think it's more than half, actually. Um, there's a, a huge number of countries within Europe that don't want to grow GM and they don't want to produce GM. So I think England will be positioned as this kind of wedge to try to get GM into Europe. And that would be disastrous. So is Brexit, is it? A foregone conclusion now, or is there still an opportunity to wiggle out? Well, honestly, many of us still kind of hope that it's some sort of bad dream that <laughs> at some point we will wake up from and it won't be happening. Uh, because most of our environmental regulations come from Europe, it will take about 40 years to recreate those regulations for England. Well, that's the length of time that they took to develop in Europe. So there could well be a bonfire of regulations. And... Uh, I'm hoping that it, it still perhaps won't happen because I don't think it's been thought through properly, um, the, the extent of the disaster that will be caused. So maybe it won't happen, we hope. We're listening there to Claire Robinson. She's the co-author of a book called GMO Myths and Truths and the editor of GMWatch.org. She was part of a forum that was held in Melbourne on gene editing and if you want a bit more information on that we'll have some information and some links on the dirt radio website on the 3cr page and that's it for us we're out of here and um oh i should i should also mention that uh claire robinson was talking with louise sales and she's the campaign coordinator for the emerging tech project which is been doing a lot of hard work around this whole area of genetic engineering. We'll be back next week, but on Tuesday at 9.30, our new time, and speak to you then.